Hi, welcome back to Winged and Ready. I am thrilled to be here sitting in Jericho, New York, where I work with UBS as a financial advisor and institutional consultant. I have a thrilling guest today that is so perfect and apropos as we are going into the holiday season and especially Thanksgiving. Today with me, I have Jody Delaney. She does not work at UBS, but what she does do. She is the executive director of the Television Academy Foundation and author and going into a world of philanthropy as a philanthropy consultant. So we're going to talk with Jody a little bit today in this exciting book she has coming out. Jody, can you take a minute and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me, Diane. It's really nice to chat with you today. Um, yeah, I've been in philanthropy and social change for over 25 years, um, and I've had a really blessed career where I've been able to work on projects and causes that that feed me. Um, I've done work in environment, I've done anti-poverty work, um, I've done workforce development work, and it's really been a joy and a pleasure to work with philanthropists all over the country and help them create the change they want to see in a lot of different areas. So I feel really, I just really has truly been an honor to do this kind of work and yeah, and have it kind of come to life in a book I never thought I would write, but oh, here we are. Awesome. Go back a little bit. How 25 years helping so mm. many philanthropies, you're right. What a blessing. That's incredible. How did you get started in philanthropy? What's your origin story? Well, I actually, I'm I'm the daughter of farmers, and um, I, you know, there was no financial wealth in my family growing up, really, uh, that to speak of. But there was a lot of generosity. Um, my parents were the type of people who were always there when they were needed. Uh, they offered their home, they offered their resources, and people never forgot that. Wow. You know, it, it made it made an enormous impression on me. Both of my parents have passed now, and. And at the funerals, there there were people coming up to me with story after story after story that I didn't even know about or understand. Um, so so that made an impression on me. But what happened was I, I grew up in Minneapolis, and I had to be in New York City, right? I, I literally, the, the day after I graduated from the University of Minnesota, my bags were packed, and I went to New York City. <laughs> and that's where I started working in the arts. So I was sort of addicted to the arts. I knew I wasn't an artist myself. At that point, I didn't even know what I wanted to do. But I ended up, through just a lot of wonderful serendipity and good friends, I started working in uh, the dance world, right? Oh, Nonprofit okay. dance. Yeah. And that's where I encountered, right, generosity with wealth for the first time. Oh, fabulous. Mm -hmm. So there's a woman there. She still lives in New York City. Her name is Patsy Tarr. And she was the first real philanthropist I ever met. And I visited her home and I heard her story and I understood, right, how being generous with your time and your treasure, it can really change the world. Absolutely. And I saw how, yeah, her work was changing. It was changing New York City. It was changing the lives of artists. It was changing uh, the community. It was providing beautiful art. And, you know, it was all I can say is it was it was a transformational time for me. And I never looked back after that. That I find that so compelling and intriguing. When you started learning from Patsy, was it just learning from exposure to her? Or did she really lay out or discuss with you the items you just mentioned and how philanthropy and being generous and supporting a cause can really make change for good? Well, it's kind of a circle of life, right? I mean, artists have a very hard time making a living the way that our systems and culture and society are set up. And so they're really in need mm. of that kind of support. Mm. And it was funny because my office, um, the, the first place I worked, it was called Dance Theater Workshop on West 19th Street. 
and my office was a, a little refurbished closet. <laughs> this is my first one um, at the back of a rehearsal studio. <laughs> so I would have to tiptoe past these artists who would rent out this studio during the day. And sometimes it would be a solo artist and sometimes it would be, you know, a little dance troupe or whatever. But I started to see how hard these artists worked. Yeah. And, and then I started to see the impact that their work would have on an audience, how it would move them, how it would transform them. And I was just completely taken by this. So like, like, like I said, that sort of circle of need, generosity, exposure, creation. Yeah. Um, I, you know, how, how could I turn away from that? That's so intriguing that the arts really brought that forward for you. Have you worked in other areas where it has had that same circle of life impact on you? Oh, for sure. No, I've I've actually been the executive director of the Television Academy Foundation for the past six or seven years. Mm. And I, I have to say that that from a workforce development point of view, when you have a, a young person, right? Just, so what we do is we're changing lives and launching careers through um, creating access to uh, the television industry, right? To young people who wouldn't normally have it. And once we get those students trained and they become our alumni, they start to lift each other up, mm-hmm. right? And they bring each other up into their next level of their career and they're creating stories and because we've created access to people, you know, who wouldn't have had it maybe 10, 15 years ago, we're hearing different stories. Yeah. So, right, that kind of, and I'm definitely the type that, that believes, right? Like Mother Teresa said, you cast a stone upon water, you don't know where those ripples are going. They're, and they're going to go farther than you even imagine. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that isn't that the joy of giving, right? You, you, you don't know. And, and I remember working on a workforce development project in New Mexico. The first time this young woman came up to me and said, hey, I just wanted to thank you for creating this program because I just helped my mom put a down payment on a house. Oh, my gosh. How fabulous. And I thought, wait a second. <laughs> like, it just it didn't occur to me. You know right. what I mean? That you can change the trajectory of one person's life. That's why philanthropy is so important. And that's so compelling, not only because giving is impactful, it makes you feel better, it makes you feel good about what you're doing, but what you just described also, I think, resonates with people who may not tend to give. They may not be charitably inclined. They may think that giving their dollars away is truly giving their dollars away and it's not of any good use. Meanwhile, some of these people may own businesses or they may be professionals and they fully understand the importance of development and workforce development. So I love how you tied that through. Tell me a little bit more about how you're unpacking this and what steps you're recommending to people or how you're going in as a philanthropy consultant and really starting to shine a light in this area? Well, I had an experience, I guess a year or two ago, where I was in a room with, um, I was at a mastermind with some very high net worth individuals, and I very casually asked them if they used a philanthropic advisor. And no one raised their hand. It was maybe a dozen people in the room. And, and I just got curious about that. Um, and understandably so, okay, there are a lot of, there's a lot of distrust of nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that. And I have also worked with so many nonprofits that are led by incredibly dynamic people mm-hmm. who are very devoted to a cause, okay? And here's the thing, we, there's a lot to be concerned about. So when I started really drilling down and understanding that you know, about half of high net worth people don't have a strategy, they're giving. And I thought, oh, wow, <laughs> you know, I mean, this, this is this is something I can help people with. 
and and a lot and here's the thing you know money is energy um and there is i think when you kind of tap into your own values right your own concerns Mm -hmm. um in a deep way you can start to target your philanthropy so that it really Mm -hmm. makes a difference saying it sister yep (laughs) i love that it's and as a financial advisor, this is something I see day in and day out, and it hurts my heart a little bit when people who may not have a legacy and also not be philanthropically inclined, their knee-jerk reaction is to not do the work. But to your point, everybody has something that they care about. If you do the work, if you do the values, if you figure out where that care system is aligned with your own personal values, like you said, money's an energy. You can help the money flow, not only for who you're giving to, but for yourself. Indeed. And I think when you get right down to it, right, we are, we are all citizens of the world and potential agents for change if mm-hmm. we choose to be. But there's a lot of power, right, in taking a stand for something that you really care about. And whether that means, you know, it's, you're writing a check or you're getting engaged or you're becoming an advocate or whatever that might be, if you really kind of do that, that, that look inside. Yeah. Right. You can call it spiritual work. You can call it personal development work. You can call it whatever you want to. But the, the basic bottom line is to really just dive in. Right. And and figure out how, how you can, you know, move the needle. Right. You know, there's a lot of solutionists, we can call them right out right. there. My, my one of my personal concerns is climate change. I was feeling completely hopeless about climate change. And, and the truth is, you know, we the um, sea level rise. Right. Is the. Uh, that's that's done. We can't change that. But there are steps we can take to hopefully reverse warming. And there's a lot of allies out there working on it. So I, I actually did a, I was at a retreat with Paul Hawking, who wrote a book called Regeneration. And it's about ending the climate crisis through different means. And that's when I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> You know, and that's why I started to divert, to divert my shields to finding out what projects are moving the needle. Yeah, um, nature-based solutions underway all over the world. You know, how can I support them? How can I shine a light on them? How can I connect donors to them? I was so energized by that. Yes, and I think that's you know where the beauty really is. It's like where, when you are engaged in creating solutions, there's nothing better. Yeah, that's amazing. And interestingly, too, going down a couple of layers, digging a little bit deeper, I've seen, and I'm, I know you have seen, that it can also be a mechanism to bridge across generations. So if you're, mm. you mentioned a room of high net worth individuals, if you have a family, they're trying to unearth meaning, improve communications, foster trust within the family. Philanthropy is a great way to do that. Trying to figure out what each person cares about, why they care about it, and what the family can get behind and support is a wonderful way to make multi-generational wealth not only more powerful, but in one way kind of safeguard it, right? Because if the grandchild feels like the grandparents then get them, they're more apt to engage, engage with enthusiasm and not be resistant to where they are within the family and, and really what their wealth means in the community. Oh, that is so true. And I remember so well, um, I, w- I actually ran the LA office of the Trust for Public Land for a few years. And that was one of their, one of their models, right? They would actually take a grandparents who had preserved land, right? And then bring their entire family out to see it, out to, you know, float on the river, you know, whatever, whatever the land was that they preserved, but they got like on the ground, literally 
um, with them. And, and it's, it's interesting you mentioned this because I was um, working with someone yesterday who we talked very much about this. This client has two young, like young adult children. And we're actually talking about, you know, their shared values, right? And when you kind of sit down and, you know, and our values change over time. And, and, it's, and it's interesting, you know, what are my values as, as opposed to my spouse's values or my children's values or it's like, like, what do you really care about? But like you're saying, when you sit down with your kids mm-hmm. and you start to understand where your values are aligned, mm-hmm. right? Think about the energy that you can, you know, direct toward those things. It's exciting. I just got it so. I mean, that that's exciting stuff. It's so exciting. Energy where you can direct it, but also it makes a bit of a mission statement for the family, right? So it can help ring fence how the community treats them, what asks people make of them. It can really help streamline their life, in my opinion. I think it's helpful yeah, well, for how they hold themselves out. And that's the definition of legacy, right? You know, what the from the especially from a grandparent or parent point of view. What, what are you leaving behind? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, legacy is a big word and we kind of throw it around. So it's purpose, right? I mean, you know, we can, we, we could say, you know, our purpose every day is just to be present to the day or, <laughs> right, we, we can tie, you know, the purpose we want to have and the legacy we want to leave behind together be really intentional about that. You know, and like you say, bring it to the next generation because the next generation, they're they're in it, right? They're they've got it in some ways. I feel a lot like I'm I'm here to step out of the way so that they can create their future with joy. You know, but however I can facilitate that with the time I've got left here on Earth, I'm I'm here for it. I love that future with joy. And while we're on this funny little planet, this strange little ride, we can do the best that we can do. <laughs> Well, we're really here to, you know, to lift each other up, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I had an, I've had a friend in New Mexico say to me, you know, we're, we are here to help each other along. So everyone gets to decide what that means for them. I love that. So let's pivot a little bit because, as we said at the top of the recording, we're, we're heading into Thanksgiving. And while mm. it's a time of being thankful, I think what you're about to tell us will likely be evergreen and work year-round. But going into Thanksgiving and coming out of Thanksgiving, when we all may be getting a lot of ask and request around Giving Tuesday, one of my favorite days of the year, Mm. tell us a little bit more about the book you've written, What You Give Is Yours Forever, and what are the six steps to change the world? (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's... I, I'm, I'm so happy about this book. Um, I think, like I mentioned before, I never imagined I would write it. And then I, I kind of realized I, there's a message that I want to share. But What You Give Is Yours Forever, um, the subtitle is Six Steps to Change the World and Change You. And some of this is really, it's, it's very much inner work. Um, there's a lot of practical things in the book as well, right? There's all your it's tax considerations and, and all the things that are very, very important and obviously Philanthropists want to have a smart team in place. But in the book, um, the first step is actually to adopt an abundant giving mindset. Mm. And everyone knows about the abundance mindset, right? Is that there's enough resources in the world to support what you need to do. And if you add giving to that, right, it's really kind of an extension of that. So there's a, there's a few ways to do that in the book that I kind of lay out um, that, are, that are kind of fun. This is definitely a journal prompt generated kind of exercise. Love that. But after kind of some mindset reframing, uh, the second step is to identify your role models. 
So this has been interesting. I've had a lot of interesting conversations about this because in some families, giving is absent. Mm-hmm. In some, it's present. So it's really valuable to kind of sit down and think about what has been celebrated. What would you want to change? What would you want to see differently? And if it really wasn't around at all, there's all kinds of you know more prominent giving role models right out in the world. Oprah Winfrey. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of them. We could we could get into them, right. but it's really kind of sitting sitting down and identifying what kind of model that you want to emulate, perhaps, right? Do you see along those lines of giving that people are either fully engaged or not at all? Is it a very hot and cold or is there sometimes in between? I think what I'm seeing mostly is a sort of scattershot, I guess, is the way I would put it, mm-hmm. which isn't which isn't a bad way to give necessarily, right? But a lot of folks sit down at the end of the year and say, well, I'm going to give to my friend's cause here, and I, I kind of like this, or I'm sort of concerned about that health thing, or and then that's okay, and those gifts, you know, matter mm-hmm. to the organizations that receive them. I think what I'm really advocating for, though, now is to think about transformational giving. I'm going to going through the steps, which I'll continue on in a second, but it's sort of drilling down into what are the outcomes, yeah. right? Once you identify, once so the, so the third step is to unearth your core values, and then the fourth step is to prioritize your concerns. So if you get down to say, you know, you know, these these are the things that most concern me, then you'll want to go find the partners. And and ideally, this is what philanthropy is, right? It's a partnership with someone. And and this is any money I've raised. I've never asked people for money. I invite them to come and solve a problem with me. Yes. Right. So, So this is, it's just a little bit of a deeper dive into what you care about. And then it's really, you know, I, I, I don't think it matters. I mean, some people want to be hands-on, some people don't. That's fine. It's really more about what serves your heart and soul. Right, right. Right. And so, uh, I love that you said it was scattershot. So it's not that the intention isn't there, but it's helping people align. And what I like to say is put governance around it, put structure around it. There's freedom within yeah. structure. I say that all the time. If there are any repeat <laughs> listeners to Winged and Ready, this is not the first time they've heard me say that. And interestingly, that works the other way too. As an institutional consultant, I have a lot of not-for-profits that are clients, and you want to implement that same governance for them. So you were talking about the magnitude of giving, but as I'm hearing you talk, it's really it's really kind of magical to think that it's being done on both ends, both with the not-for-profit and with the donors, the people who are giving. That can really create so much more alignment, connectivity, and, and better results. That's amazing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And there was a, there was a gift um, uh, this year, actually, I worked with this wonderful philanthropist and she really wasn't sure she had received an inheritance and she wasn't quite sure, right. We were sort of working on what, you know, what what should this really go toward? And um, she knew she was interested in what we were doing uh, at the foundation I was working at. And then there was one day it just clicked. I introduced her to some students and she just said, I want to support them. So, but right, we work together. So ideally, right, and that doesn't always work that way, but ideally, right, especially if you have wealth to share, 
um, you know, bringing it into a place where you can develop that strategy, like you said. I mean, and I, I always personally, I like to develop, you know, two to three year strategies. Mm-hmm. And like you, I always tell people because, you know, people have paid me to do this for years. And I always tell them we create a plan so we have something to deviate from. I, yes. <laughs> and and it's true, right? Because you you need to leave room for the magic to happen. You need to leave room for the things that might not work out, but it shouldn't stop you from creating and implementing a, a strategy. And, and in this case, I think, you know, what I'm here for is to help you create a strategy that feeds your soul. I love that. And it's so true. I always say the strategy for me would be an investment policy statement. This is a guidepost, but sometimes it acts more like a maypole. We might be dancing around it. <laughs> it's just because we write it and we put it in place, it's, it, it's not rigid as much as it is a guide and making sure that you're sticking to that guide so that you have a clearer path. And also you can double check what you're thinking and what you're trying to accomplish and what the missions are and what the goals are. And it's a constant reminder of, I set out to do this. Do I still want to do this? Do I need to make adjustments? And does it need to be optimized? So I love that you're, yeah. what you're doing strategically, it's work, it's self-work, it's a deep dive, but it's not cemented. Correct. Yep, yep, you have to leave room for, for the universe to do what it, what it wants to do. Yeah, it's incredible. Well, while we have a few minutes left, I would love to hear if you want to go through a couple of the steps high level. Sure. Um, Let's see here. Let's kind of go through. What do you think would be most helpful for your listeners? Well, I I don't want to answer a question with another question, but if you were riding (laughs) in an elevator with somebody and you really wanted to leave them with a piece of information that you thought would make them take action or want to learn more or, you know, be a call to action for them, what would that be? I would start with a mindset shift, right? Which is really about making room for a new way of giving, right? So these are the things that, that I urge people to do. One is to ask big questions and explore new things, right? As often as you can. Um, you have to kind of, you know, banish the the stuff that's in your everyday self-talk, right? The, the guilt, regret, whatever, the things that are kind of over-occupying emotional space. Mm-hmm. Finding ways to let that go and then to visualize and invent a new story for yourself that includes giving and receiving with joy. Um, and I'm going to use the word love as well. And I mean that sort of, you know, agape love, that sort of big love, mm-hmm. um, baking that into um, you're giving into your strategy because I really think if there's anything I want people to take away from my book and to really think about is that you are a change maker, right? You're, you are, you, you have wealth, you are blessed and you're a blessing. Understand and start to take ownership mm-hmm. of the fact that you are, you are full of wisdom and knowledge and energy and expertise and you are needed and you are appreciated and it's absolutely possible, especially with entrepreneurs who have built their own wealth, right? That sort of energy translates so beautifully to giving because in the end, you're, you're playing a much bigger um, and a more influential and impactful game with your giving. So I would, I would start with that. Um, I think importantly, though, too, is the um, really unearthing your values um, as they are now, right? Even people who have done this work. 
Um, and for me, for instance, when I started drilling down, I really, I absolutely must have freedom. I must have adventure. <laughs> I'm going to be doing a lot of traveling next year, right? Digging, digging down into my own values. What, what do I, you know, care about? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then time, it's a purpose. Um, so it's a, it's a journey, right? And again, it's, it's not something that can be done overnight, but, but really kind of sitting down so you can, um, kind of understand what that means to you right now yeah, and then and what you want to do with it. I love that so much. Again, pom-poms waving in the air, <laughs> like supporting every <laughs> word that you said with much enthusiasm. And interestingly, mm-hmm. you're doing the mindfulness and the mindset shift around philanthropy specifically without having read your book yet. I cannot wait to read it. Cannot wait. <laughs> I know concretely that doing that work will pay off in spades in so many other areas. You brought up entrepreneurs and founders. I know that will translate into how they think about their own business, even if they're going to think about exiting or selling their business and monetizing it. That work will be greatly, greatly helpful because you said everybody is blessed with wealth. And I want to extrapolate that even more and say that doesn't just mean you have a lot of dollars in your mm-hmm. account. Wealth is multi-layered and it has so many different aspects to it, as does capital. Mm-hmm. I personally can't wait to read your book, do the self-work, <laughs> and to share it with people in my sphere because I know it will be helpful not only from a philanthropic standpoint, but from a life standpoint and a business standpoint. I appreciate that so much. And and really, I think it's an opportunity to be as creative as we want to be, right? And I, I mean, you're, you're making me think of, there's a really lovely guy, he's Canadian, um, his name is Randy Molland, and he was, uh, he created his wealth, he was in his 20s, uh, he, he uh, created his wealth through real estate in Canada, and he actually created this really cool model where he said, okay, team, because he just, yeah, he had, he was making money, he thought, how do I get back to my community and for every, he figured out a thing where for every, um, uh, like, fiveplex or duplex or whatever, every home that they sold, they would donate $10 per door to charity. Mm. That's how it started, right? So fiveplex would be $50, you know, per month, for instance, right? And anyway, it started to escalate, and, he, and he's now, he's consulting with other um, entrepreneurs about how to kind of tie a mission to the work. Um, and yeah, I, I tell his story in my book too, because it's, it's just one of those, it's just one example of how creative you can be um, with your personal wealth and tying your business into, you know, bringing others along. How about that, right? Just amplifying your own giving. Um, you know, and some people do that with matching gifts. You know, there, there's just, there's so many ways. And that's, that's why I love this, this work is that um, there's no one way to do anything. Right. And, and you can, you can make it meaningful to you, your family, you know, and your community. Oh, that's lovely. And I think a perfect note for us to end on if for our listening audience, if you're curious and you want to explore more, Jody does have a website set up, which is www.jodydelaney.net. And that's Jody, J-O-D-I-D-E-L-A-N-E-Y.net. And she's on LinkedIn as well. Jody, is it safe to say if anybody wants to reach out to you with questions, you are very welcome to receive them. Eager to hear from folks and happy to help. 
Fantastic. Well, I can't wait to get your book, What You Give Is Yours Forever. And I'm wishing you and yours and everyone in the audience a happy Thanksgiving and, and many blessings. Thanks. Thanks. Same to you, Diane. Thanks so much. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.